Welcome back to Golf Drifter. As always, brought to you by GolfDrifter.com. It is Tuesday night in New Zealand. New Zealand has just been plunged back into a level four COVID lockdown. The boys, myself included, we've got uh, seven days at home. Well, Vaughan might have a little bit less. But what better time to talk about some golf, spend some time with some mates to see what's been happening. Hello, men. Hello, Casey Evening, Casey. Evening, boys. Evening. Yes. It's, a, uh, it's all happened pretty fast. We're, uh, anyone listening overseas, New Zealand was given the word about two and a half hours ago that we, uh, we'll be spending a little bit of time at home. What's your, uh, your first take on that, boys? We're not a COVID podcast, but uh, <laughs> thoughts? The right call for New Zealand? Oh, well, it's... it's... My take really is that it's just, it's only been a matter of time before this happened. I wasn't surprised at all. Um, when, you see, when you see what's happening around the world, uh, very disappointing, obviously, but I, I think it's probably the right move initially. Um, we haven't had anything like the exposure to this variant or any other variants that other countries in the world have. Um, this is the the kind of response we did last time and it, and it worked. So I, I think it's certainly the, the right response to try initially. If things get out of control, um, who knows? Um, my concern, I guess, probably the same as many New Zealanders is that our vaccination rate is still a lot lower than it is anywhere else in the world where where this thing's you know kind of got control, probably apart from Australia, really, and we can see what a shit show it is over there. That seems to be the key point, doesn't it? That without vaccinations, you can't really uh, live with it like a UK or a or USA is doing. I mean, I'm pretty confused, yeah. to be honest. I think it is the right call for the short term. I do also think there'll come a time in life where you've got to live with this thing. And uh, look, I'm just happy that there's going to be at least a little bit of sport on to watch over the next week. I've got my uh, my San Francisco Giants baseball starting to heat up, key, key part of the season, and we're doing bloody well. So I'm excited about that. And of course, some uh, some golf. But Vaughan, you're looking forward to a, a quiet week? Yeah, it's a, it was a hot topic of conversation this afternoon when... Um, when it obviously it popped up on on the news news feed, um, and obviously I live in a di- on a different island of New Zealand to you boys, of course, and uh, maybe foolishly we probably thought that we would um, perhaps it would be a a lockdown for the North Island and, and not for us. Um, that hasn't proven to be the case. Um, I'm similar to you boys. I I believe it's the right thing to do. Um, we only need to look across the Tasman to our Australian uh, brethren to, to see once it takes foothold what, what can happen. Um, a little disappointed that we haven't obviously vaccinated to a slightly higher level would be my would be my gripe about it. And funnily enough, I was uh, due to get vaccinated at 9.30 on, on Thursday morning. Um, so I've fallen into the 48-hour window of people that uh, is having their vaccination pushed out, which is a little frustrating. But, hey, look, it is what it is. It is for the greater good. I, I feel for hospitality and some of those other industries that it, that it will affect. Um, but, yeah, it's about the long long term. So um, I'm going to trust I'm going to trust in it for today. She's uh, she's certainly a strange old world out there. But, uh, look, we won't we won't dwell on that uh, yep. too much more. We better get on to the important topics of the week and a little bit of golf. So, uh Look, man, so much to break down tonight, so much to discuss, uh, some good, some bad, some ugly. A lot of good, actually, over the weekend. I guess we're starting with the PGA Tour. Wyndham Championship, last event of the regular season, and a win to one of the good guys on tour, Kevin Kisner. Now, Vaughan, over to you. I know you had a bit of money on him, so once again, time to gloat. What was your breakdown? <laughs> what was your breakdown? Uh, well, I can't gloat too much because he, he technically hurt me in our in our uh, in our personal uh, betting competition, uh, but you're right. Kevin Kisner is one of one of the good guys of golf. 
he's a fairly difficult guy to, to cheer against. It was just a really good finish coming down down the stretch. Heaps of guys had a chance. Russell Henley led the whole way um, and kind of blew up while everyone else um, surged past him in, in the last round. Lots of good players in contention. Uh, you're right, I did have a couple of dollars on uh, Kevin Kisner to win. Uh, I actually had a lot more dollars, as I think I'd said to you, on Siwoo Kim, who actually lost in the playoff. Uh, but luckily, I'd covered him for top five and top ten, unlike Mr. Kisner. So it wasn't a disaster of a result. But it was a good event. I mean, lots of guys scrapping to get into the top 125 um, for the playoffs to begin this week. Um some good intrigue with Adam Scott. I don't know if you boys saw him miss that putt on yeah. uh, the first playoff hole. <laughs> um, Shocker. It wasn't the best putt you've ever seen. And look, when you're putting for the best part of nigh on $2 million, uh, I'd probably get a little nervy too. But uh, on the flip side, if I was a professional golfer at his level for 20 years, I'd like to think I could have got a little piece of the hole from from that, um, that range. But yeah, good event. Good on Kisner. Good player, like it. What about uh, Kisner? I mean, look, I'll be honest about Kisner. I've, I've really uh, fallen yeah, yeah. for him as a player, yeah, and I, I think it's because I'll be honest, it's because of the four play pod guys. I think their their liking of Kisner, the fact he's been one pretty much their guys, comes on, he talks like a normal human being. It really made me think. Well, two questions I had, but the, the first more serious question is really made me think about what alternative media has done for those sort of second-tier guys. And I use the word alternative media. It's not just social media, but podcasts, the ability to be seen by kind of people or heard. I mean, it must have changed the world for those. And I use it, you know, politely second-tier guys, but guys like Kisner that probably wouldn't have been media darlings in that top echelon of top 10, you know, top 10, 20 players. I mean, it really has made them, if they want to, it's given them a chance to, to be seen. I think it's quite an incredible change in the last five years. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%, Casey. It was you that, that put me onto foreplay, and I thank you for that. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm like you. I, I've Having seen Kevin Kisner on the foreplay pods and on the various videos they've done um, and things, I, I'm like you. I, I think he's a terrific guy. And the same goes for some of the others they've had on there, like Pat Perez and Joel Damon and Harry Higgs and, and these guys that, again, aren't, aren't the worldwide superstars, but they're guys just, that are just packed with personality. Um, and, and you're right, I think putting the spotlight on people like that gives it's that personality that, re, that really kind of strikes a chord rather than, than maybe the cookie cutter mould that you see so much in golf. Um, what, what I really like about Kevin Kisner is um, he's a guy who just totally understands his game. So on, there's certain courses, mm-hmm. and the Wyndham is one that he is ultra competitive on, and he knows that. And there's a whole bunch of courses on the PGA Tour that he is just not competitive on. And again, he, he'll be the first one to tell you that. He's spoken about it, about uh, US Opens and particularly places like Bethpage where he just knows he can't win. But he turns up and he grinds it out and he's totally honest in saying that, you know, I'll be there because a 30th place check is still worth playing for. Yeah. And, you know, the guy doesn't take himself too seriously. And, um, yeah, I think he, he's, he's a credit to golf, really. He's the type of guy that that um, really gets um, the public more invested in the game. Couldn't agree more. And I think, you know, he, he, he knows how to work the media too. I mean, he's much as foreplay has been good for him. I'm sure he's been good for foreplay. It's sort oh, of mutually totally. beneficial. I mean, mm. these guys in that second tier, you know, there's still some big money to be made in terms of sponsors and, and support. So they know what they're doing if they need to. But um, mm. hey, it's, it was, it's been the season of playoffs. It feels like big playoffs, big crews. I mean, a six-way playoff, sort of almost Olympic-like. I mean, 
whilst I thought it was quite inter- interesting to watch, I did happen to catch it. I mean, is is it the best way still? Do we need to be looking for a new form of playoff, it, or is that just the way it is? I mean, I, I'm just I don't think necessarily it's broken. I was intrigued to think and see if you guys had a any alternative thoughts. I think there's lots of different ways to skin it. I personally like, I personally like that if you put in four days of work and you're tied after 72 holes, that you should keep going until there's a clear winner in the way that they've got it at the moment. However, there's there are times where you know you're time sensitive. Personally, I I really like the format of of, of the playoffs the way they are, um, and as opposed to the Olympics. Dare I say it? They were playing off for the first place check, not for the for the third. I don't want to harp on, on the Olympics. We all know my thoughts on on that. Um, but I actually quite like the the format of of the playoffs at the moment. I think that where it needs to change is if you're playing in a in a different format of game, or if you're under time pressures. What if this had gone for another? I don't know, six, seven holes, as sometimes they do, and it starts getting dark. I don't like it when they come back in the morning to finish it because generally I don't watch it and I lose some interest around it. So that would be my criticism. Um, and just going on about uh, Kisner and you know about courses he turns up to, if you look at the leaderboard, it's quite interesting. Kevin Kisner, Kevin uh, Brandon Gray, Siwoo Kim, uh, I'm just guys in the top 10 here, uh, Webb Simpsons, Kevin Streelman, Russell, Russell Henley, Brendan Todd. We are talking about guys that are not big hitters. They are not the bombers. They are the guys that put it in play and hit it down the middle. There is a place in golf for everyone if you're good enough. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. And those guys, I mean, you, you was once again numerous holes, wasn't there? I think the 17th was a good example where, you know, you said to get a ball in play. And, and Kisner, as you pointed out, ground as well on record to say that's his style of course. So uh, mm. he just knows that some of those, those bigger courses – and I'm going to say, I mean, he also doesn't have a, a liking for the, the West Coast courses from memory, the ones, different sorts of greens. So interesting, mm. you know, based on where they grow up, kind of yeah. what they used to. Hey, just going back to Adam Scott, obviously um, probably should have been his tournament to win, would have been a little bit of a surprise. He hasn't exactly been in, in good form, but that putt, I thought, for all us amateurs was a um, a good a good reminder of just how bloody hard it is to win a golf tournament. Um Am I right in saying I don't think any player since Phil at the PGA has converted a 54-hole lead? Wow. Um, yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's a crazy stat, actually. I mean, it is. Is it, is it is it a coincidence this year, or is it actually that leading? It could be seen as a little bit of a negative, being in that last group. Is it better to be a couple of groups back and making a run? Hard to, hard to say, really, isn't it? I mean, no, no front runner has, well, clearly from that stat, has done particularly well, and we've seen some pretty big meltdowns. Um, but having said that, when looking, thinking of the golf we've watched over the last couple of months, there hasn't been anybody who's really flown through the field to win either. There's been guys who have had a solid final day and got into those playoffs, and perhaps that's why there's been so many playoffs because leaders have come back to the field rather than players have kind of burst out of the field. It doesn't seem like I can remember anybody who's who's gone super low just to sort of break clear. Um, yeah, as, as for Adam Scott, you have to question how much the end of the, the whole anchoring thing has really affected him because I know it, I know when that immediately finished, he went back to a short putter and he's back to the broomstick again now, but he just did not look comfortable over that putt, did he? Um, and to, it's just, to me, it just seems so weird on a, a putt that short to look at it and look at it and then go back and re, need to go to your greens book and look at it again and 
I don't know. Do you? What do you guys think of those greens books? To me, it just seems like it's one of the great things about golfers is the feel you have to have, and, and reading greens is part of that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's. Uh, I, I guess at the end of the day, putting is all about feel, um, and you've got to feel comfortable. And he looks so. You, you couldn't have summed it up better, Grant. He looks so uncomfortable. Uh, if you could have and I wasn't in front of my computer, but if you could have put a, a bet on William Hill or something for the odds of making or missing that putt, if you were the odds maker and you were looking at him, I swear you could see beads of sweat pouring down his forehead. Yeah. Um, he wasn't going to make that putt. Um, no. <laughs> tough. In, yeah. in tough fact, to only, sorry, Vaughn, carry on. It's just tough to win, as we keep saying. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, in fact, the only person who seemed to think he was going to make it was the TV commentator who'd basically <laughs> given him the tournament and then was in utter shock when he missed it. And yet you could tell from his demeanour, the way he was looking at it, the way he backed off, that he just was so uncomfortable. Um, just just quickly going back to that playoff too, the, the one thing I would say about it for me was, and I was highly critical at the time, was it just really demonstrated the folly of the Olympic organisers breaking up that, that group in the playoff they had. Because it was watching that one on the weekend, it was so clear that guys... Were, were changing their tactics based on the, the players playing before them. And so obviously if, if you hit the ball longer or you hit the ball, get the ball in the fairway and you, you got to hit after the people in front of you, you could change your tactics and they were doing that. And and so, yeah, the whole idea of, of that Olympic one where they split them into a four and a three and took that away, just I still can't understand that. No, I agree. I mean, what's the advantage of going long off the tee if, if you're in the first group in, in the Olympics, the three guys behind and as yeah. it happened, though, none of those three guys really took advantage of that. But I hear no. hey, um, just what I think about it. You guys got any good stories of uh, big clutch miss putts that have uh, cost you any tournaments or, or big games in your life? I know I've got one that still haunts me probably 12 years after it happened. Anything jump out of your mind? I have got one. And I have to say it was actually to my advantage, not against me. Uh, it was at my uh, original home course in uh, Rangiora on the outskirts outskirts of uh, Christchurch uh, the 17th a very short par 3 with a massively undulating green uh, and the pin was cut I would have to say in what you would classify as an illegal position uh, on the on a bank on the downside of a bank going off the back of the green to the point where in all honesty if you did not miraculously make your putt the first time you could be 5 or 6 putting and I was, I'd never beaten my particular friend who was a much better golfer than I. In fact, he went on to become a scratch golfer. I'd never beaten him. In fact, I probably never got close to him. I was about four down with, to obviously, the second to last hole. And I did get lucky and, and make the putt into this completely illegal pin position uh, for a par. Uh, and I think he about seven putted for a 10, which allowed me to win. And he, I've never let him forget it, nor did he let me forget about it. I've never seen the pin probably within five to six feet of that particular place ever again. So in that particular case, it was to my advantage, but I would 100% agree, and I know that he won't be listening to this, that it was, in fact, a completely illegal pin position. I um, <laughs> I love that story. I, I played in a, um, a bunch of mates went away, probably 20-odd guys went on to a, a tournament we used to call the Schwing Cup. It doesn't happen anymore, unfortunately, but uh, held at um, St. Andrews in, in Hamilton. I was... I had a very good last round. I was not in the leading group, but I had an amazing last round and stormed back into contention. Probably didn't know it, but I actually had a chance to win it on the 18th with quite a makeable putt that I missed. But at that time, I wasn't aware of that. But uh, first playoff hole, all sort of 20-odd 20, 20 guys 
uh, watching, walking down the first tee. We had to sort of beg our way onto the first to go play a playoff hole. I had about a probably a foot and a half to win it. Um, missed it, missed it clean. Don't I think I was Adam Scott? I don't think I even caught the hole. Um, imagine a fair bit of bit of banter. I drew that hole and then we went down again. And uh, I had a, a, a much more tougher putt to a half, and I missed that. But uh, never did win the swing up. I don't think I've ever won a um a tournament really ever after that. So uh, yeah, I can feel Adam Scott's um, pain. Those putts might be a foot and a half away, but they might as well be about. To a pinprick, I suspect. I, I just didn't think I was going to make that part, and I still remember it many years on. So, uh, Grant, anything for you? No, not that immediately comes to mind. Although I would say that playing in a in a, in a fairly social four on the weekends, where we you know we we occasionally enter competitions, but more often than not, just playing for a beer amongst ourselves. We we play gimmies all the time. So it's not until you get to um, you know ball in the hole stroke play type champs that you actually have to stand over those two and two, one, two and three footers. And when you're not used to playing them all the time, they do become extraordinarily um, difficult. And oh, that's know, a, yeah, I, that's a I've great over many, many a two foot putt, just thinking, how am I going to get this in the hole? You know, I couldn't agree more. I think gimmies are worth to an amateur golfer. I mean, at least a shot around, if not potentially oh, two. Easily. Yeah, probably two, I reckon. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, if you had to make them all, you just invariably will catch one with a funny angle yeah. where you got to putt downhill and yeah, totally you know, got to be safe yeah. or, or you're going to be aggressive. So I reckon to an amateur yeah. goal for one or two at least. Yeah, I've got I've got a scenario for, for you lads. Uh, a, a good friend of mine played some golf last week uh, in, in a warm up for a tournament. Uh, he was playing in what he thought was a fairly casual uh, four with nothing too much on the line. Uh, he. Middle of the round, like I say, nothing really on the line. And he was given a gimme by one of his playing partners. He then just went up to the ball and, and just gave it a tap, not really thinking anything more of it because it had already been given as a gimme. And when it missed, the guy rescinded the gimme and said, you've got to count that as a shot. Thoughts? Oh, well, well, no, this is interesting. This is interesting. I have, I have heard of a... A similar rule before, where when you are given a gimme and you kind of you take the putt anyway, it's kind of you could argue a little bit dirty because you're kind of getting the benefit of the practice putt when you've been given the gimme. And I had a guy once tell me that it kind of in the spirit of of gimmies, you really shouldn't do that because it's kind of getting to you know have your cake and eat it too. Because his theory was, I'm giving you that putt because somewhere later in the round, I want you to have to make a similar putt, and I don't want you to have had practice making it. Yep. So mm-hmm. I actually. Mm-hmm. Would I do it myself? No. Do I hold someone against it? If it's sort of a match and, and you know, I think you do kind of have a point. And I've been guilty of it, putting it in sometimes when you give me it. And it probably is a good habit, I should, or a bad habit. I probably should get out of it because I actually, I kind of almost agree with the fact you probably shouldn't put in a gimme. Okay. Grant? Yeah. Um, so we have a saying amongst the, amongst the boys again, and that is never put a gimme. And, and that's been brought out many times where you, yeah, you're given the putt and you just tap it and invariably it misses. So we don't, we wouldn't do anything about it. But having said that, when I've played penance in, in years past, if you give a guy, if you give a guy a gimme and he insists on putting it, particularly early on, the, if he did it the first time, I would probably just very politely mention that if he wanted to get any more gimmies in the match, then he picked the ball up sort of thing. Yeah, because if you give someone a gimme, like Casey says, you're doing that because you don't want them to putt from that distance. If he's going to insist on putting, then he can putt out. He doesn't need a gimme. Okay. 
Yeah, I think that's a, that's a fair all-round assessment. Yeah. Hey, um, just going back to the PGA Tour, because it was an interesting week. You briefly brought it up, Vaughan, that it was the uh, the 125 cut for the playoffs. Um, and I thought there's, there's always a ton of good content this week around guys that are, are missing out. I mean, it's a little bit different these days, right? You don't you don't plain miss out. I think you go into the Corn Ferry playoffs with a chance to sort of keep your card. But certainly it's the week when the Corn Ferry guys, the first 25, do get their tour cards. There's always some amazing content out there um, of guys that have, you know, either battled for a dozen years and made no money or, you know, played a bunch of Monday qualifiers and sort of never never had a shot on the main tour. So did you catch any good stories this week? I, I did see a story of one guy that I think is playing about 12 or 15 years. He's been battling away on the Corn Ferry Tour and finally got his card. I, I can't remember his name, but I think it's always an interesting week. And um, I suppose the question I, I had for you guys too is, is it too hard on those guys on the Corn Ferry Tour? I, I've got an interesting take on this after my, my baseball kind of, fan experience but uh what do you guys think of that whole corn fairy tour is it is it something that needs to be looked at i picked up on this this week actually on on another podcast i heard an interview with a guy who has played um corn fairy for for a number of years as well as a few other minor tours and boy what an <laughs> idea. He, he was talking about just how hard life is on those tours so mm. he didn't have full status on the corn fairy tour which meant that he got limited starts. And when he didn't get limited starts, he was playing Monday qualifiers. So I kind of, I kind of proceed what he said, but this, this is the basis of it. Basically, if you, for a Monday qualifier, you turn up on the Sunday, the day before the tournament, they're not the Monday, the Monday qualifiers are not played at the course that the tournament is actually held on. They'll be played at a, a, a course that could be up to two hours drive away. So you go to that course possibly on the Sunday, but it's unlikely that you're going to get a practice round because it'll be a local members course where they'll have like members playing the course. So you have to take your chances on whether you get in or not. On the Monday, you pay your entry fee, you turn up, you tee it up, you'll be playing against 150 other guys for possibly about four spots. There'll be another tournament of the same size, 150 also competing for another four spots at a different tournament. So they'll have eight Monday qualifying spots. But, you're, yeah, so you're playing in a big field. If you get in, basically what that means is you're in the tournament, but it also means then you've got to pay for three more nights accommodation to stay until the Thursday. You've got to pay your entry fee into the Corn Ferry tournament, um, and then you basically go and then tear it up to try and make the cut and get a check to even cover the money that you've already spent. Uh, and he said that, like, by the often by the Thursday, before he even teed it off, he was just totally exhausted. He was just completely tapped out before he ever even started the tournament. And they might do that five or six weeks in a row. So, wow. I mean, that, that doesn't sound like a very glamorous life, does it? Certainly not glamorous. I, I, I find myself a bit conflicted by these stories. And I suppose my, I mentioned it before, but my take on this is influenced a little bit by baseball. So I, I'm a mad baseball fan. Anyone that follows baseball will have a bit of a passing knowledge of the minor leagues. I mean, that is as brutal as it gets too. You've got guys earning you know, 700 bucks a month kind of thing during summer to, to achieve their dream. And it always gets a little bit of, of noise. And it's a little bit like the college athletes actually too over in the States about do they deserve more money? And I think the question I always sort of end up asking myself is they deserve more money if they're earning money, if they're using it as a springboard to get to the next level, just like someone going to college or someone going to learn, that is part of your, the, almost the price you pay to have a crack. And so, in the in the minor league baseball scenario, they 
they don't often make a lot of money as a team. They they have a lot of costs moving a team around and and really the teams exist to get players to the pros. So part of the school of thought is, well, these guys aren't, you know, creating income, so they don't necessarily get a lot of it. Now, um, in a sport like golf, I'm not sure whether the Corn Ferry Tour, I mean, some of the purses aren't horrible, right? 850 grand type purses, I think. So they're, they're okay. Mm-hmm. But I guess I, I don't feel qualified to answer whether they should get more support without knowing, are they generating what? more income through TV rights and stuff like I yeah, I, I, he, he wasn't. He wasn't arguing. I think that they needed more support. I guess from his point of view, it was he was just trying to highlight. I guess the lack of job security. He had. Yeah, well, he had to a point where where he now had, I think it was conditional status. They called it or or non conditional status, which meant that he basically got pretty much guaranteed starts each week on the corn ferry, um, which then allowed him to possibly get into that you know the finals to get to move up a level. Um, and so yeah, I guess. His his point was people people see the the golfers earning the big money, but you know for every for every Justin Thomas or Dustin Johnson or even Kevin Kisner for that matter, there's thousands of other golf professional golfers around the world who are playing competitive golf each week with the dream of getting there. Um, but yeah, they're 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 living sort of check to check each each week, and um, and yeah, probably not earning as much as you would you know with a with a pretty average desk job sort of thing. Oh, that, that, that's a point. And I do want your view on this one, but that's actually an interesting point. I just quickly pulled up a stat and I'd be interested to know what you guys think. And this is PGA Tour. But what do you think the 100th player in the in the career earnings on the PGA Tour has earned? Give me a, a number. And it's in the millions, clearly. But how many millions do you think the person who's 100 on the career earnings, top, PGA Tour? Career earnings. Wow. Yep. Uh, number 100. Uh, 14 million, maybe. Go on, hundredth. Uh, I'm gonna reckon about 12 million. So it's a little bit higher, which is good. I'll probably set you guys wow. up for a low number. 18 million is the number. Graham mm-hmm. McDowell, actually, as it happens, but mm-hmm. I think you're, I mean, it's interesting with golf, and, and I suppose it's, it's you know, we don't know how much they're making for appearances and sponsorships, but. You know, mm-hmm. like Graham McDowell has probably had, what, 20-plus years as a pro? Um, yeah. Now, he's, he's got European tour earnings, clearly, but let's say 18 off the PGA tour. I, I mean, I've heard mm-hmm. before that these guys spend a million bucks a year on their teams mm-hmm. these days, and they probably mm-hmm. would have been less. But yeah, you're right. I mean, it's not a sport. We think of it as a rich man's sport, but even guys up in the sort of 30s or in that list, they're still only at sort of 36 million compared to, you know, an mm-hmm. NBA player with one-year contract at 40 million. It's actually not, yeah. it's not exceptional, but... Yeah, once again, going back to the, the lower tour guys, I guess that the, it's good to acknowledge it, especially in the current days of mental health and thinking about you know people's you know own support networks. But I suppose the question is, are you choosing to be there ahead of getting another job? Yes, but just keeping an, an I guess keeping in mind that the lifestyle isn't as glamorous as it as it may seem. Yeah, I think that's the thing is that these guys are no one's holding a gun to their head and forcing them to do it. They're doing it because they love the game and because I'm sure they genuinely think that. They've got a chance of making it to the big time, and it, 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 I guess you'd probably wonder what is really the difference between a, a guy on the Corn Ferry compared to someone, say, on the on the PGA Tour. There's there's probably not a lot from a raw skill level. It's there's just maybe one or two small things in their game, you know. So I guess they've got a, they all probably believe they've they've got the game to get there eventually. Well, I think they do on their day. Mm. Yeah, mm. I really like the Corn Ferry Tour, and I'd I'd. I probably only get to see the highlights every couple of weeks. And they certainly play on some interesting golf courses that are um, at times vastly different to the PGA Tour. Um, What I'd say is that 
sometimes from some of the articles I've read is that they're a little bit, and I mean this with all due respect, particularly to the Americans, that they look at that as the only way of getting to the PGA Tour, mm. whereas that's not really the case. Like there no. are other large tours globally around the world, which some of these guys might be better suited to actually go and play mm. and go that route rather than the Corn Ferry Tour. Um mm. For as we said, it is pretty bloody brutal um, mm. to to go that particular path to get up there. So maybe a few more should be starting to look. Um, should we start to looking for a little bit further afield to play some of those other types of tours to be able to get back to the PGA Tour? If that is you know the ultimate, and I think I think that we all agree that 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 it certainly is. Um, maybe they, they just need to mix up a little bit more of just stop being so obsessed of having to go through what appears to be a pretty tough grind on the Corn Ferry Tour, whereas you imagine playing 20 tournaments on the European Tour. We talk about it all the time, about all these amazing places you get to play and destinations. I have a feeling that it might be just as tough monetary-wise, but it might be a hell of a lot more fun along the way. Mm. I think as Brooks Kepke is probably a good example of that, isn't he? He came up through um, the yeah, European Tour and, and came straight onto the PGA Tour from there. Him and a, I think it was a guy called Peter Uline played together a lot and did a lot of travelling together doing that in the younger years. Hey, just while I'm on this uh, this money list, it's actually fascinating reasons uh, <laughs> reading. I should encourage you guys to have a look. Korea money earnings, Jack Nicholas. Admittedly, it's in current dollars, so it doesn't... Well, sorry, it's in, like, actual dollars earned, so he'd probably, in real terms, earn a lot more. But what does he earn, Vaughan? Oh, I looked at this about six months ago. It's a sad number. Uh, oh, I'm going to say 7.2 million. Vaughan? Oh, sorry, no, Grant. Wow, yeah, gosh, Jack Nicholas. Yeah, probably, yeah, that probably wouldn't be far off the mark. I'll, I'll, I'll go a bit less and say maybe 5 million. 5.7 million. How wow. about How about Danny Lee? That, probably considerably more than that, I would imagine. It is um, considerably more than that. Because he's, he's, he's won at least one and he's had a few good years. Uh, give Danny about eight and a half. Ooh. So what was hundredth? Hundredth was eighteen million. Is yeah. that correct? Yeah. I'm going to go thirteen and a half. Thirteen point seven eight. I hope you're not googling well, this one. No. 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 La- last person for the night because this is always mm. fun. Tim Wilkinson. Mm. Big Timmy. What's Timmy got? Okay. Uh, Jack Nicholas had five point seven. You say? Yeah. Uh, Four point six. Yeah, I'll go. No, I'll go about five point five. Somewhere very close to Nicholas, which would be just ridiculous. Four point three. Wow. Hey, speaking of Danny Lee, I see he finished something like a hundred and eighty third in the um, this year. So that's a that's a really disappointing season, isn't it? Um, there are one. Of, there are a few other pretty good players that missed that top one twenty five. Justin Rose, obviously being the most obvious one, missed that mm. putt on eighteen um, and got who's. This place was taken by Chess and Hadley, who who had a hole in one on maybe sixteen or seventeen. Um, Ricky Fowler, Tommy Fleetwood, Charles Howell, Frank, and Frankie Molinari all missed out on that top one twenty five. Yeah, from what I understand, I, I've I've read a bit about this. There's certainly for those big name guys, a lot of them have ways back in. They won't miss a beat next. Yeah, the and, and they're not playing years. full schedules either. Some of no, them. I mean Charlie Howell would have. Would have and Ricky Fowler would have, but the but I mean they're not they're not going to drop off the scene. Put it that way. No, Fowler I think has a couple of exemptions based on right. certain things he's done. I think if you're in top okay. twenty five 
of your career, which Ricky Fowler is, he's, he's actually 24th on the list. He gets like free yeah. reign. I think he gets a couple of ways back in. So, yeah. yeah and I think it's that those guys, the next, Danny Lee may have to actually go down to the quarter mm-hmm. playoffs. So, yeah. Yeah. Hey, just on that note, actually, uh, you know, playoffs, what, what do we think? Is it, is it made golf better? I mean, we're entering the playoffs now. Uh, you know, I, I think it, I think it has. I remember back to the days pre-playoffs and it was just the tour champs. I think the playoffs were a bit of a strange concept. It must be what the best part of 10 years now. I think they have given meaning to the season and, and as much as it's a weird wraparound season, I think it does work, but I don't know. It's still, it's a strange thing, but I think it works. I think the playoffs work for us as fans, genuine fans of golf. I think it works for us. I think for the average punter who doesn't really care about golf, they're like, why are they playing another bunch of tournaments to to decide this to win a whole bunch more money to give them an additional bonus, and therefore I don't think it necessarily strikes a chord with people that don't aren't aficionados with golf. That would be my that's that's my take on it. I still think that the final tournament has, and that's something we'll be able to discuss in a few weeks' time. But I still think that the final tournament needs some tweaking. I'm not the biggest fan of the of the head start. It's yeah, it doesn't feel quite like the right thing to do. I've got two weeks to come up with an answer as to what is though. Indeed. I actually, I, I'm sort of in the same boat. I don't know if I love it, but I can't think of a better version. I think yes. you do want a winner. So unless there's a better way that I've missed, I think there probably is the lesser of, of a few evils. Hey, yeah, last money question, actually. I've got plenty of money questions this week. Which golfer, which golfer on the weekend did not make the cut, but won a bonus of $1 million based on something he did during the season? Matthew Ooh, Wolf, uh, Matt Wolf, wasn't it? Yes. Is it well done, some, you guys. What is it called? The risk and the, the risk and reward challenge or something? Which I think I have no idea what that is or what what you have well, to do with it. I, I, it must be the re- most ridiculous sponsorship that exists because I didn't hear them talking about that once during the season, and this company's yeah. decided to put a million dollars into it. But yes, apparently, a one hole every week is given a uh, a risk and reward. I guess it's your score to pass. I'm not sure if it's a gettable par four or par five, but anyway, right. it's your your score on that hole each week. Um, right. The best, I don't know if it's the best 18 or whatever, but anyway, long story short, he won it. And Louis Eusthuizen was second. He does not seem like a risk-reward player, so I'm buggered <laughs> if I know how but, that works. But he but, does uh, specialise in coming second. <laughs> it does. So anyway, a million dollars for, uh, for... And I think Wolf, he knew it too. He, he only had to play that event right to... Um, Ah. To get that million, he didn't even have to. It didn't matter what his scores were, his miles up, but he had to play. Mm. He didn't even have to make the cut. He just had to register two scores. So mm. that was a, a good way to make a, a quick mill. Yeah. Hey, um, for me, the, probably the biggest problem with the playoffs is, well, the whole the whole FedEx Cup thing for me is, it's kind of it's a, it's a case of the wanting to have their cake and eat it. They want something that lasts the whole season, but they also want a playoff, and and the two don't always go well together. Um, yeah, and a, a system where you just don't get the best players playing all the time, to me, doesn't work, you know. Uh, but I, I don't know what the answer is, to be honest. Um, but you're right, Vaughan, certainly from an outsider's point of view, from a casual golf fan, it's way too complicated. Way too complicated. Right. Other events of the golfing world, we, it would be a remiss not to mention our girl, Lydia Coe, a second in the Scottish Open. We will discuss her form, but... We salivate about this, seems like, every week. But how good was that women's Scottish Open course? That looked incredible. Oh, it was awesome. I absolutely loved it. Once again, loved everything 
about it. Just oh, so good. Can we, let's get that PGA Tour over the ASAP and get more events. Yeah, it looked amazing. Lydia, back to her. I mean, I think she's as good as she's ever been. I think the field is, is deeper than it when she was number one. Yep. you know, a few years back. But I think she looks as good as we talked about it last week too after a medal. But I mean, she looks as good as as good as she ever has. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Time again, played awesome. She's up to number six in the world, uh, right on Danielle Kang, who's number five. I mean, it's it's awesome. It's a great time to be a Lydia Co fan. And funnily enough, I'm just uh, looking at. Uh, the career money of the LPGA Tour, funnily enough. Uh, where do you think Lydia Ko currently sits on the all-time career money list for the LPGA? Ooh, I've not looked this up, so I can genuinely say it's probably like the men's game where recent recency bias is high. So I'm going to say she's about seventh or eighth, okay. um, and I'm saying she's won $13 million. Okay, yep. Mm. Yeah, well, I... I'd put her in certainly put her in the top ten, but I think she's earned more money than that. I'd say she's probably earned closer to about twenty million. Okay, so, uh, at, as of today, she is thirteenth all time in career earnings with eleven point nine seven million. Mm, okay, so th- I've got two two further questions after Casey's great questioning before we get, come back to this. Mm. Number one is Annika. Mm-hmm. What is her career money earnings? Ooh, uh, oh, I'm going to say 22. No, no, that's a bit light. 26, 26. Yeah, about more. Well, if Lydia's in, what do we say? Well, how much did how much had Lydia in? 12. Uh, yeah, essentially 12. Yep. 13, or so maybe 25. 22.577. Mm, okay. uh, so within sight, Lydia is is genuinely mm. within sight. And mm. NB Park is the one that's bearing down her at number four. Yeah. Um, there is one particular player that really catches my eye, though, on this list. At number five, Lorena um, Ochoa. Mm. Her, so Annika Sorensen won $22.5 million from 304 starts. Mm. This lady, 14.86 from 175 starts. Yeah, and so then retired. Half, mm. She would have surged past. Yeah. That is very, very impressive. But yeah. Yeah, our Lydia is, she's right there. She's only probably another three or four good payouts from breaking in the top 10. And she is within mm. sight of, of potentially getting to the top. And how mm. impressive would that be to be at the top mm. of the all time money earnings list in the next five years? What happened to Ochoa? Did she have kids or did she just give it just, away? I, I remember she gave it away earlier, right? It was quite. Yeah. Just said that was enough. Just said that was enough. Yeah, that's that's my career. I think she did maybe want to go and have a family or something. But yeah, just just gave it away. And, and I don't think she was even thirty. She might have been like twenty eight or twenty nine or something. Do I recall thing. right rightly that Lydia once said she wasn't going to play forever? Like she, she was going to quit quit at sort of late twenties, thirty. Yeah, she did. Yeah, hasn't that that's I guess maybe because she's playing so well at the moment. Haven't heard much more about that. But yeah, there was there was definite talk about that. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, um, her... nine top tens she's had this year in five different wow. countries. So I mean, that is you know, and going into the women's women's open next week, you'd have to think at Carnoustie. Um, yeah, she's got to be a, a chance there, certainly. Absolutely. Where where would you rate Lydia in our all time sports people? Where she, where is she now, and where could she end up? Oh, good question. I mean, she's got to be top twenty. I think 
already based on global sport, her, her story, her performance. I mean, she may might be doing a disservice. She may even be top 15 or top 10. I mean, mm-hmm. I think she's got every chance. She, she occupies a pretty good position in the top 10 by the time she's done, maybe even top five. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's tricky. She's up there. I mean, I, you know, I'd probably give her a position in the 10 to 15 sort of bracket now with the ability to sneak into somewhere around the four or five mark if she has another good five years. I'd have her in the top 10 already um, based on how global golf is and how dominant she is within a sport of that size. Um, yeah, I'd have her in the top 10 already. Are we counting teams like, are we saying the All Blacks are our team as one of the top 10? Well, that's, I was thinking more as an individual, but that's a fair, that's a fair point. I think I would, even so, I think I'd have her in, in my top 10. Um, <laughs> I think it's about time yeah. that people outside of, you know, ourselves and the golfing community mm. in New Zealand put a bit more respect uh, on Lydia's name, to be honest. I think mm. she doesn't get the kudos that uh, she deserves. Just mm. on by bring out rugby, is rugby in, in all sorts of trouble? All Blacks game on the weekend, a lot of empty seats, a middle back-to-back game at Eden Park, never happened before, but I think rugby's in all sorts of trouble. Oh, couldn't agree more, mate. I honestly could not agree more. Um, I had a mate who was, I played golf with on Saturday, who was keen to go to the game on Saturday night and had looked at the, looked at the prices. Ticket in the stand, 225 bucks. The cheapest ticket with a restricted view was 85 bucks for um, the All Blacks playing the second week in a row for a stadium experience, which we know stadium experiences in New Zealand aren't great anyway, and I, I would put Eden Park towards the bottom of that list of Kiwi stadiums, middle of winter, and a competition in inverted commas where one team's won for 19 years in a row. Um, yeah, I don't know. That doesn't doesn't make for an appealing sporting event to me. Yeah. I Look, to be honest, I went out and ate haggis on Saturday night rather <laughs> than, than watching rugby. That yeah. kind of gives my summary of where it was at. And to be honest, I didn't even know that. I actually totally forgot it was on until um, about 930 uh, where I think something came up on a, new, on a news feed on my phone. Uh, yeah, uh, it's horrible to, to be saying, but I, it is in, I do think it's in, in dire trouble and they seem to be have a bit of ostrich with the um, head in the sand saying, uh, no, everything's fine, everything's fine, but I, I don't know if it is. I don't see numbers as to how many people are actually viewing it, but I can only judge it by you know people like ourselves uh, as you said, Casey, red-blooded Kiwi men. And I know that my mates are just not watching it. They just don't have the same level of interest as they once did. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's, a, it's a probably a little bit, you know, we've got we've had a diet of the same thing for so long, sort of repetitive. Mm. The All Blacks dominance against Australia probably hasn't helped. So there's a few factors that aren't in rugby's favour. But, yeah, I thought that was a pretty worrying worrying our site with all those empty seats. And and I think, you know, rural New Zealand probably would always be into the rugby, but yeah. I I think some of those urban urban centres certainly may be, uh, may be passing it by, which is, uh, I'm sure people at Rugby New Zealand are well and truly aware of that that challenge. Hey, um, we're all over the show tonight, but uh, <laughs> do you guys catch the, the US amateur golf? The, the, well, I wouldn't say the boys, it's a bit of unfair, but the young men, do you guys see any of that on TV? Yeah, I saw a little bit of it. Um... Yeah. Oakmont, Oakmont looked amazing. You know, the did, thing did that, I, that did catch my eye and, I, and sort of going back to feeling nervous on the golf course again, which is something I will never stop thinking about. 
I watched the semi-finals and every hole, the fans weren't behind ropes. They walked with the players and every green they got to, they like lined the green. Oh. I'd never seen anything like it. Like these guys were like, basically they were all risking death if it had been me playing. But the, the, actually, I, I haven't seen it like that. It was weird. It was like they were trusted to kind of walk with the players. It would be like going on a, watching, I don't know, a club champs at Pupuki. No one oh. would go to the club champs at Bottle Lake, clearly. But the club champs at Pupuki... I mean, I, that was my lasting thought, but I mean, I, I know it's a big deal in the States. I know it's um, something they, they really care about, but I mean, tough tournament to win probably gave me a little insight into how you could run the Olympics with a, a stroke play followed by a, a match play format. So, you know, Ogmont though, yeah. that looked like a pretty good track. Yeah. And it, I actually um, did a little bit of kind of research on this today and, and um, printed out the list of, of um, winners of the US Amateur going back to when Tiger Woods famously won his three in a row. So I thought, well, does it, is it still kind of a, a, a weather vane for, 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 you know, players who are going to have a great future career? And I'll, I'll just read some names out to you of, of um, some of the winners since, since Tiger. There's been Matt Kuchar, uh, Ricky Barnes, Ryan Moore, Eduardo Molinari, uh, Danny Lee, obviously, in, in 2008, uh, Peter Uline, Matthew Fitzpatrick, Bryson DeChambeau, Doc Redman, Victor Hovland. Um, so, I mean, there's some big names there. Obviously, there's there's also a number of guys who who you read now and go, well, yeah, no, who are they? Where have they gone? But yeah, I mean, so there are, you know, it, it does bring bring some some top guys through. Well, I think that's it. I mean, you kind of forget Danny Lee won that. Eh? That was quite mm, a chance. Yeah. He wasn't he the youngest mm. winner ever, I believe. Actually, I think he was. Yeah, yeah. I think he was. Bit Tigers, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. Beat Tigers, I think. Record. There probably are more guys now that are choosing to go pro earlier. They're not doing their yeah. full full college reign, so they're probably not going to win it three times. But I'm sure there's still plenty of athletes that try to win it once. I mean, for nothing, no other reason other than the exemptions, right? They get to play in mm. the Masters and a few other things. So, mm. I mean, it's still a big deal on TV. I think the PGA Tour basically stops early so they can get some coverage of it in the afternoon. Yeah. So, yeah, clearly matters to them. Um, right. Enough about this week's golf. We had a few interesting questions uh, posted um, to us this week, so we, we better move on to those because it's, it's time to uh, do a bit of daydreaming about a few fun hypotheticals. So um, first question for this week, what would your dream job be in golf? And we're going to take playing out of the mix. So you're not a player. You're not a former player. It's, what's your dream job in golf other than being a player winning big tournaments? Who wants to jump in first? Go Grant. Oh, okay. So, yes, my dream job in golf. I would like to be that guy who was the starter at the Open Championship. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. He's my my favourite. Retired about two or three years ago. He he'd been doing it for donkeys years, and he had a fantastic way of introducing them. That's the job I'd like if I had to have a job in golf that didn't include being the player. Yeah, that would be my job. Outstanding. Um, I would like to be the ESPN correspondent, uh, golf correspondent that gets to go to every uh, golf event. Um, there's a gentleman, oh, there's a couple of gentlemen that, that do it at the moment, but they seem to ha- have a heck of a lot of fun um, going around, obviously interviewing the players, turning up to the tournaments. Yes, there's, of course, there's an element of work um, involved in it, but I'm sure that b- behind the scenes they get to, to hang out with the players, play some golf, um, and and do what we all love to do, which is talk golf every day. So, yeah, I'd like to be the an ESPN uh, commentator of some description. Uh, mine is nowhere near as exciting, unfortunately. It's uh, it, you guys have actually gone with fun jobs. I was far too serious. I actually wanted to be a golf course designer. I think that'd be bloody magical. Going to um, 
not designing necessarily courses that the pros play on, but going to a Terry's or something like that. And with the knowledge of being able to actually just put together a course that people would, it's like art to me, those things. I think being a golf course designer would be like being an artist and your legacy would live forever. So I think golf course designer would uh, be kind of boring because probably be quite a lot of hard work and not a lot of fun. I think you guys picked uh, much more fun. Maybe I'll be the guy that drives the, uh, the, the tailor-made trucker around and just his best mates with all the players. <laughs> Certainly, certainly a lot of jobs, eh? I mean, golf is a yeah. big old industry. I mean, you, yeah, you actually start to think about all the people that are involved. It's quite mm. crazy how many different mm. jobs there are. What about, a, would you be a caddy? Would you ever consider that? Well, it's funny you bring that up. I, I, I sort of had a question on my list tonight about how important caddies are in general, and we might have that conversation in depth in another session. But, yeah, I would be, I think, as a, as a position in life. I mean, if you were caddying for one of the top guys, then, you know, A, you're doing good money, which would take away that pressure, but... If you weren't good enough to be a player, being behind the ropes, you know, yeah. those caddies probably do consider themselves part of the success. And I think that's something we'll debate next time. But yeah, that'd be amazing for a top player. It'd be tough low. When you think about how tough it would be for a Corn Ferry Tour player, being the caddy for that guy would be bloody ridiculous. But being a caddy for a PGA Tour pro who's in contention, awesome. Yeah. 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 Agreed. Yeah. It, would, it would be awesome. And I, I think that it depends what, you know, we, we've got our own opinions on what we think that, that, that their best role is. Um, I think in this day and age, it's you know, people management and actually being able to read the 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 mood and the mode of your player at any particular time and calm them down or pump them up depending on on what it is. Um, so I think that that would be very interesting from a psychological perspective, um, being able to yeah keep somebody in in the right frame of mind for any shot, particularly down the stretch of a of a big tournament. I think it would be very interesting. Absolutely, be, be hard, wouldn't it? If you were if you were a keen golfer yourself, and a lot of those caddies I understand are, and some of them are actually quite yeah. good golfers, it must be really difficult to stand there and watch your player, even when you're giving them advice and thinking to yourself, that man, I'd love to hit that shot, or why is he hitting it? Why is he doing that? You know, would, uh, it would, I'd find it really difficult, I think. Oh, it would be and tough think, if you genuinely were close, but if you're probably, as we know, the margins are thin right between being a tour pro and being a very good golfer and who does mm. nothing. Those guys, if you get looked after by your, your player, you get to play probably Augusta oh, and a few other courses. I mean, you you just have to have a different mindset, obviously. You're going to oh, work, would. right? Yeah. And that work is, is you have to take enjoyment out of, of your main winning. But we'll, we'll, have a, we'll, we'll rip into caddies as a whole topic because it's definitely one worth breaking mm. into next time around. But mm. um, next question up, and I thought this was a real doozy and, and one that got me really thinking, but um, the most feared hole you have in New Zealand. So any hole that you've played that you just think, I am stuffed on this hole. You might have had a good run on it once in a while, but any hole that you've played that uh, that, that you fear, it could be a local club track or it could be one of the, the big resort courses, but um, most feared hole in New Zealand, Vaughan. Oh, it's a, it's a very easy answer, Casey. Um, the first hole at Bottle Lake, of course. Uh, when you've got to step up, I didn't and... say I didn't say the most you know, crap hole in New Zealand. I was like, <laughs> the most... yeah, I know you, you, you quite clearly said the most feared hole. It is my most feared hole in New Zealand. Is the the first hole at Bottle Lake, uh, a, a a long par three with out of bounds all the way down the left, and a gigantic tree on the right, which I hit seven out of ten times at every single round I play. Uh, and I'm always stoked to take a bogey. I absolutely despise that hole because. To be honest, it can ruin pretty much any round right off the bat on the, on the first swing. Because I tell you, people do not birdie that hole, nor as make a par very often on it. It is a bloody hard hole. So 
that is genuinely my most feared, feared hole in New Zealand. Might not I be mean, the toughest hole, but it's my most feared. You wouldn't expect anything else from a, a course like Bottle Lake. That's a terrible course design when you have a long iron off the first on a par three. That's got to be the dumbest, dumbest design of a hole. Going Mate, it's just, it's just a tough golf course. What can I say? Hey, no. look, it, it's pretty hard for someone to throw stones when they're not even a member of a golf club. I mean, come on now. <laughs> I, I actually am. If you guys look up, I'm a member of, of the Hut Park Golf Club. It's a wonderful establishment. I encourage you to go and have a look at it. I, I think I rest my case. <laughs> and, and, and you've played there how many times? Uh, I actually have played there as a, as a young kid when I was living in Wellington, but I have not played on this current membership, no. Uh, Mind you, I think that, that still is better than having to go play Bottle Lake. Um, oh, come on. I'll jump in there next, my turn. Uh, I, I went with, I, I sort of thought two. Um, I think in terms of resort course, and we've all been there, but Pirates Plank at, uh, at Cape Kidnappers, hole 15. Um, long, long par five, often played into wind. Huge drop away on the left where you'd probably die if you went looking for your ball. Ball away, drop away on the right where your ball's gone. Legitimately three, if not four, very straight shots required. Pretty much I can't hit the ball straight four times in a row. Really what it comes down to. Uh, I have never made a par. I've made a couple of scrappy bogeys. I think I've had a couple of decent putts for par when I've somehow managed to pull off a miracle. But essentially three slash four straight shots in a row with the wind, I'm just not a good enough golfer to do that. Um, in terms of a, a general course, uh, Whitford probably holes uh, two and four out of bounds down the left. I don't know why, but I played a lot at Whitford, and it's not actually a shot that I generally, you know, I do hit the odd snap hook. But it's not really my go-to miss, but I just make a mess of those holes every time. It's that whole mental problem of seeing out of bounds the whole way down a hole. It just does funny things to you. So Whitford two and four, but certainly Pirates Plank, I think, if you, if you make less than a bogey on Pirates Plank, you've had to hit some legit golf shots. So those are the ones that stand out for me. Grant? Yeah, uh, well, I'd agree wholeheartedly on Pirates Plank. Um, number 14 at Cape Kidnappers, which I think is called Pimple. Um, yes. Horrible hole. Um, I, yeah, I, I, that's one I've never... Well, the three rounds that we played there, I, I just played horribly all three <coughs> days. Um, the, the fourth at Pupuki for me would be by far the tee, the tee shot that I dread the most of any course that we play because um, there's a huge overhanging branch of a bloody gum tree that the council <laughs> just will, will not cut down. I've, I've, I've honestly I've thought about ringing them and reporting it as a safety hazard. I've thought of sneaking up there at night with, with some poison. I've, I've thought of all sorts of things to get rid of that bloody tree. Um, and weirdly enough, number two at Waitakere. I don't know if you've play, played Waitakere, Case. You probably have. It's yes, I have. Par, yes. Uphill par five. But you see, Goes forever. Play from a, play Goes from a forever. tee. And, you, and your first tee shot, you're heading up uphill. And, and it just, I don't know what it is, but I, I get there and it's one of those ones where you know you've got to get a driver high. So you're trying to scoop it. And it, it feels like you're trying to play a driver out of a bloody pot bunker for me to try and get even get the ball off the tee. It's just a nightmare. That would be my worst ones by far. Waitakere is a is an experience, is what I'd say. It there, is. it's a yeah. uh, experience. That um, Pupuki, there's always someone. It's almost fun when you get to that tee when you're playing with Grant. There's always someone brings it up every time, right? There's always a joke <laughs> made about you must be looking forward to this one, Grant. I mean, to be fair, <laughs> yeah. most of the time it's me when I'm bringing that up normally. But I, yeah. I, can't, I can't wait to get to that hole and kind of like think of the most logical zany thing in my head. It's never zany to Grant, but to bring it up and go, you must be looking forward to this one. Yeah, and and yeah, you know, as someone who hits a left hander who hits the ball from right 
left to right all the time it's it's right there it's there is there's no way to to for it not to be in your sight line basically yeah right. yes, absolutely now grant you brought up the uh second last question for the night um you you had a friend that sent you an invite to go and look at some tight list irons a fitting for some concept CP02s. I don't know what that means, but let's just yeah, so it's park there for a second. 875 bucks an iron. That is per ridiculous. iron. Per iron. So the question I had for you boys is is are they the most expensive golf clubs you've ever heard of? Because that sounds mad to me. $875 per iron. Um that, that is just, that is that is crazy. I mean that's that is crazy. I don't know what a pro would have to pay. I'm assuming that they don't have to pay is the whole point. But if they were paying, that that sounds like the, the kind of number you'd be paying if you're at yeah. the highest end of, of um, golf, not, you know, a couple of yeah. hackers from around the traps in New Zealand. That's it's a fair yeah. chunk of change. It is. It kind of brings up kind of a wider question too, doesn't it, about the price of golf equipment in general. And and on the back of that invite and that, and that number, I did a very quick bit of Googling. Um, thought, okay, well, if I was going to buy a new set of clubs today, what what's it going to cost me? Because mine are probably five years old, and you guys might be the same. I don't know whether yours are a bit newer or not. So I thought, okay, well, TaylorMade, TaylorMade's a good brand, and the Sim Two's the the, the the probably the go-to brand for for most golfers at the moment. So if you're looking at driver, two woods, uh, four to pitching wedge, uh, then say your gap wedge, sand wedge, lob wedge, and a putter, which is your standard four, set of fourteen, you, you're getting no change out of five thousand bucks, basically. Wow. Yeah. I have uh, I've heard that our uh, good friends at the clubhouse and certainly uh, golf warehouse do pretty well. I mean, mm-hmm. those numbers probably paint the picture of why. I mean, it's, it's, there's a lot of marketing that goes into golf and a lot of mm-hmm. cost. I mean, the staff-intensive businesses. But, yeah, I mean, it would be interesting if you could actually do some analysis, some blind analysis of a golf clubs that were, say, 1,500, two and a half, and five, and actually mm-hmm. see if a guy, if people could learn all three sets of clubs, but they didn't know which one was more expensive. I, I just, I'm not sure with golf is up to a certain ability and I'm going to say 10 handicap and maybe even a little bit lower, seven or eight handicap. I'm not convinced there's going to be a huge difference between a $2,000 set and a $5,000 set. I think there might be a big difference at a $500 set, but I, yeah, there does come a number when I'm not convinced that you we're good enough golfers to see a difference. Are there yeah. particular clubs that you would be quite happy to shell it rather than a set is there a particular club that you would be quite happy to pay overs for oh absolutely i mean i think driver for a start is, is in that box and i think for me personally wedges really nice wedges uh and then putter i, I feel like that's kind of the the go-to parts of the set for me i, I think through the middle of the irons I, I don't know if i've got the knowledge to know what's better and worse so those for me yeah, I, I'd agree with that. I, although pro- possibly not the putter. I, I personally, for me, the, the putter is more about feel rather than technology. Um, so if I found one that that, that I felt good using, um, that was that cost fifty bucks compared to say six hundred and fifty for a, a tailor made spider. Yeah, that that I would be quite. I'd quite happily go with the the cheap one. The drivers, I certainly think, uh, technology wise, you know, you you get what you pay for. Um, and I agree to Casey Irons. Oh, well, I mean, I don't hit my irons well anyway, so I might as well have a piece of wood in my hand, to be honest. But, um, yeah, that's but the driver and driver's 100%. You get what you pay for. Yeah, it's interesting. The thing I'd probably pay overs for would, would now would be hybrids. Um, mm. 
I find that I'm using them more and more and more as the as the years progress. Yeah. They seem to, they've definitely replaced all my you know two, three, four, five, six irons, and mm. I feel like that they will in time replace the other remainders outside of wedges if they, mm. if they produced a decent enough <laughs> a thirteen hybrid or something. I would probably mm. probably go to that, but that that's probably the club I would now actually pay overs on um, mm. because. It, it, you can get the ball up in the air um, a lot easier with with those clubs and can more consistently. So, yeah, that'd be the one for me. Interesting. Yeah. We might have a we might have a chat next week about uh, what equipment you'd buy if money was no no issue. We might do a bit of research yes. and have a look what's out there. Yeah. Mm. Hey, uh, last question. A little fun one. As it's still winter in New Zealand, we're looking forward to getting out on the course. Probably not a hot topic right now. But what is the best? I'm going to say alcoholic drink. doesn't have to necessarily be alcoholic, but the best alcoholic drink to have on a golf course, summer's day, you're out with your mates. What are you drinking? Oh, no competition for me. It's a cold beer out of the back of the of the um, the cart that comes around. Um, yeah, no competition. Oh, you can take your own beers on the course, and and that and you know that that's fine. But yeah, it's it's to me, it's never the same as an ice cold one that comes out the back of the golf cart. Yep. Can't beat a, a cold beer out of the back of a golf cart. If someone else is actually coming around supplying it for you, that's yep. much better than having to lug it around in my uh, in my own bag. So, yeah, yep. no-brainer. Yep. Yeah, I'm not a massive fan of carrying beers either. I feel like after the first one, they go downhill pretty fast. I'm, yep. Yep. I've become quite a fan of the, uh, the alcoholic seltzers. I feel like you can put them in a can and they sort of last a bit better in my bag. So I have become a fan of three or four of those. I, I feel like there's this... That's what happens in all sports, right? But about four four drinks, and I'm at my best. If I have two per nine, I reckon I'm in a good state, but it's a fine line. If I go beyond two per nine, she can go downhill very fast. I do enjoy, in the middle of winter, uh, a little whiskey out of, out of the hip flask just to, just to keep you warm, just to keep the insides warm. That's a, um, it's an interesting take, that one. That's not something we have to deal with in Auckland, but maybe it's a, an old man thing I can look forward to. Mate, we're just in a cold part of the country. It's just, it is what it is. It is what it is. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> hey, guys, we're going to wrap it up. Um, it's been a good hour. We might actually do a little bonus one later in the week. We're all going to have time up our sleeves. So we'll uh, have a think of interesting topics. But as always, thank you for your time. There's lots of uh, interesting golf coming up. We didn't even talk about if we managed to play. In fact, uh, you'll probably be a happy man, Grant. The, uh, the lockdown will probably save you losing that really good score off your handicap for another couple of weeks. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Well, although, no, I, well, I actually had a trip away to Taupo book for this weekend, which has gone gone down the Swanee now, unfortunately. But, um, yeah, so by the time we're out of lockdown, I might be back into actually playing some golf. But, um, yeah, no, my game can certainly use a rest. Fair enough. Yeah. Okay, boys, let's wrap it up. Um, have a good week. We'll, we might chat in a couple of days and, and uh, kill some time. But uh, thank you, for thank you as always, and uh, talk soon. All right, yeah. boys. Have a good week. Thanks, Cheers, boys. Thank you.